Let's read Numbers 13, starting in verse 26. Now they, the Israelites that had come out of the, the land of Egypt, now they had departed and come back to Moses and Aaron and all of the congregation of Israel, or, or the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and in Kadesh. They brought back word to them of all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land, promised land. And they told them, we went to this land which you sent us and it truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people that dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and they are very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land in the south, the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take our possession for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that had gone up against him said that we are not well able to go up against these people for they are far stronger than we. So we were talking about last week, Moses brings the children of Israel that in their hearts had not left Egypt. Their hearts were still in Egypt. So every time they ran into a problem, it was a life or death, the world is falling apart situation. I, I stub my toe and I fall to pieces. Um, you know, I, I hear reports of like people going through like huge injuries and they just, you know, keep on trucking along. My grandfather was one of those people that like when he'd get cut or when he'd get hurt, he'd rub dirt in it. So it's like, I don't have time to bleed. He was kind of one of those guys. Y'all, something that you need to know about me, if I get a heavy paper cut, I'm done. I'm done. So if you need to have like 911 on speed dial, while we're packing boxes for the, the school and everybody's like, you know, has like the tape guns going all over the place and people are running their hands over those cardboard boxes. <sighs> Get like a little cold sweat. So I don't understand people that just like powerhouse do a bunch of stuff. However, when you look at the, the tribes of Israel, that every time they ran into something, it's like, oh God, there weren't enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here to die in the wilderness. They came to the edge of their destiny, their edge of their promised land. They sent spies over into the land to see if the land was good. They came back out. 12 spies went into the land, 10 were bad and two were good. The 10 said, guys, it's everything we thought it could be and more. So the nation of Israel, ah, the promised land overflowing with milk and honey. But there's big, ugly, scary people there, and we are not good enough. So we need to turn around back in the desert. The desert that they had spent the entire journey complaining about. They were like, eh, I'd, I'd rather live in the desert than to deal with these problems that are about to pop up in my life. Then Caleb quieted the nation down, said, let us go up at once and take over this land for we are well able to overcome it. And the entire nation was like, nope. We're gonna enjoy the consensus and we're gonna turn away from our destiny. Of course, Moses hit the ground. You know, I don't know if he was expecting a meteor to come in and strike the nation of Israel, but Moses hit the deck and he started pleading with the Lord, Lord, forgive them, they're ignorant. Like you created them, you know how dumb they are. Forgive them. So the Lord said, I will pardon, 
This is uh, Numbers 14, starting in verse 20. The Lord said, I will pardon them as you have requested, but as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter into that land. They had seen my glorious presence and all the miraculous signs that I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness, but again and again they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never see the land that I swore to give to their ancestors. None of them who treated me with contempt will ever see it. Now, this is not God being fussy. This is not God, like, not, not getting what he wanted for his birthday. He's like, fine. If you want to have an attitude, you can just stay out here and starve to death. That's not, that's not what he's doing. The nation of Israel together, collectively, got together, and they said, we're not doing this. And so God went, you're right. Have you ever been in an argument with uh, your spouse or your parents and then you say something and then they go, okay, you can have exactly what you want. It's like, oh no, what have I just done? Verse 24, but my servant Caleb has a different attitude than all the others have. He's remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land that he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of the land. Now turn around and don't go on towards the land of the Amalekites and the Canaanites. Tomorrow you will set off for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. In Romans 1 through 3, it says multiple times that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all forms of wickedness and ungodliness. And what is the manifestation of the wrath of God? We see in Romans 1 through 3 that he turned them over to whatever was going on in their head. The wrath of God is not lightning bolts striking people. It's not famine. It's not plague. The wrath of God revealed towards us is God going, okay, you can have whatever you want. Because we are dumb. And when we pick out what we need for ourselves, we make horrendous decisions. All right, so what do we want to talk about today? Um, Israel multiple times gets to the edge of their destiny. And the entire Old Testament story is the story of unredeemed people trying to make it on their own power. And over and over and over, we are proven time and time again that in our own heart, in our own bodies, we lack the ability to generate enough courage, to generate enough faith to manifest the will of God in our lives. The whole goal of all of this is for the Israelites at every turn to go, I can't do this. But when they came to Sinai, they said, Moses, you go up on top of the mountain, figure out what God wants us to do, and we will fulfill it every letter. The goal of the law was for them to look at the law and go, I can't do that. Not eat shrimp, are you crazy? I can't, I can't meet the requirements of the law. I need help. The goal of sending the spies into the land was for them to go in there and go, I can't do this. God, I need help. but they lacked that, hey, I need help. The thing that robs us of our destiny a lot of the time is our inability to say, the thing that I am facing is too big for me. I need help. It's what's messed me up. I don't, I don't know about you guys. It's what's messed me up over and over for me to not go, hey, I'm kind of falling apart over here. 
But what, what was, like the thing that I want to focus on today is this guy named Caleb saw everything that the rest of the spies saw. Yet his awareness of the problem was a little bit different. He said, we are well able. Now, did Caleb just think that he was way stronger than everybody else? No. Caleb saw what happened with the Egyptians, saw what happened with the Red Sea, saw what happened with them being fed through the wilderness, and he said, it, it wasn't by the strength of our own arm that we got here anyways. Why in the world would God lead us all the way out here and let us die at the banks of the Jordan River? If he accomplished all of this stuff, why in the world would he not go on and accomplish all this other stuff? What was the thing that, that Caleb had in his heart? What was the different spirit that Caleb had in him? In my opinion, it was that he had a vision of what could be. So Caleb, imagine this, the biography of Caleb is that he was born into slavery. Every time he puts a toe out of line, the Egyptian taskmasters beat him back into submission. And remember we talked last week that that creates um, a reticence of us stepping into our destiny. When we, when we adopt the atmosphere, the spirit of Egypt, of those taskmasters, we want to just, like, I'll just sit here and I won't do anything. Then maybe I won't get into trouble. I'll keep my head down and I'll avoid, or I'll live in depression or denial. That's what Caleb was. Spent most of his life not knowing that there was any other possibility other than to him growing old at 60 and then dying in an unmarked grave in slavery. Then imagine what happens to Caleb's eyes when he sees the procession of Israel being led out of Egypt with the wealth of Egypt on the slaves' backs. You know, you have like these Prince of Egypt moments of like, we're being led out of slavery. And when Egypt followed them back into the desert and they were hemmed in between the Red Sea and the nation of, or in the armies of Pharaoh, saw a pillar of fire fall out of heaven and defend, the father defended the nation of Israel from, from Pharaoh and his army and then opened up a way to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. Imagine Caleb going. When they were hungry, God fed them in the desert. But I think what made the biggest difference, Caleb, whose only mission in life growing up was to die in an unmarked grave, went into the promised land and saw a hillside that made his heart ache. Like, I'm a, I'm a country boy. And there is some, like, I'd love to live in New Mexico. I'd love to live in a bunch of different places. But when I come home and I see hills of Tennessee, I got mad when I was in Bible school one time. Um, it, was, it was around Easter. So it was around spring break. And in Michigan, it was still four feet of snow on the ground. And we were picking up my friend's wife from, from her job, and we were listening to, to Dolly Parton. We were just holding on to any bit of, like, southern nostalgia that we had. There was ice and slush. And up there, like down here, you know, you have one snow, and it's like, oh, it's white, and it's pretty. But up there, it's like everything's black, you know, because it's just the slush from the roads, and we're just driving along. I'm cold. Everything's snowy and slushy and nasty, and Dolly's singing about Smoky Mountain memories. 
So all three of us in the car are just like, I can't take it. So a week before spring break, we go up to our dean. We're like, we're done. I'm going home. Can I, take, can I go ahead and take my midterm today? And like, they saw the look on our eyes. They're like, yeah, sure. So we took our midterm and then like got in the car that afternoon and drove, drove home. So we would always switch over. It's eight hour trip up to Jackson, Michigan. I would drive the Northern section and my buddy, we would switch over and he'd drive the Southern section. And I remember like driving through Ohio because there's straight nothing on that side of Ohio. And then you hit Cincinnati. The sun was going down in the west. And I don't know if you've ever been to Cincinnati, but it, like it goes from Ohio to Kentucky. And there's just hills, rolling hills. Well, on the Ohio side, everything's dead and dry. But on the Kentucky side, the red buds were blooming and the dogwoods on the hillside. So I'm driving underneath the bridge, sun setting, shining through red buds. And I'm just like, <laughs> I just start bawling my eyes out. That's what Caleb saw when he went over into the promised land. And when he came back out, he had that hill country that he had found of like, I don't care what y'all decide. My destiny is over here. And so God said, because Caleb has a different spirit in him than anyone else, he will see his promised land and his descendants will enjoy their full share. So imagine having to be at the, at the, at the Jordan River at the edge of everything you thought could be possible. And God says, turn around. And he has to turn around and for another 40 years, walk around in circles with the people that caused him to walk around for 40 years. Now, I promise, because the, the, the stories that we have, I promise that he didn't let it get into his heart. He didn't submit into the depression of everybody else of like, well, I guess we're all just going to die in the desert because he had had a promise from the Lord of like, you'll outlive them. It doesn't matter what their foul opinion is. You'll be here and they won't be. So imagine Caleb walking in the desert every day for 40 years and just watching people after people drop dead in the desert. Having the, that hill country vision in his heart the entire time, every step, he had that hill country of like, I don't care what y'all do. I'm seeing my destiny. If you want to die in the desert, go for it. I'm not. And that vision is the thing that led him up out of the desert. Now imagine, you fast forward 40 years. Joshua, who had a, had a similar spirit as Caleb, Joshua is leading the nation of Israel again on the edge of their promised land. They break into the country. They subdue the country, not knowing that the Canaanites had spent 40 years terrified of the nation of Israel. They were the boogeymen that were wandering around out in the desert. And Canaan spent 40 years terrified. And when Israel showed up, you know, it was, a, it was a slaughter. It was a massacre. That's not what we do, by the way. We don't, it's not our calling to go invade Baxter and go slaughter everybody. It's what the Crusaders thought. We went over and, and just slaughtered everybody. But eventually, when the land was subdued, as much as it was, Caleb was gifted his hill country. And he died 
experiencing the promise of the Lord. Who cares? Somebody that's been dead for forever. How, like, what difference does that make in our lives? You were born to have a Caleb on the inside of you, to be able to experience a vision, a destiny, some calling that is on your life, that it is on your shoulders, in your heart to fulfill. Now, everybody around you and the world, social media and the news, it is their job to fight against that calling, to fight against that destiny. It is inside of our heart to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And that is what's going to keep us closer and closer or get us closer and closer to our destiny. So how in the world do we awaken that inner vision of like, I don't care if you die in the desert, I'm not dying in the desert. Like when you look around in your life and you can see things that like, this, is, this does not look like the kingdom of God. The thing that keeps us struggling and fighting, let's uh, call it like having that vision quest. Anyone ever see that old wrestling movie from the 80s? No, it's garbage. You didn't miss anything. It is a dumb movie. It is, it is good to make fun of though. The first thing that you've got to do to awaken that vision in your heart is you need to be patient with yourself. Caleb spent his entire life not even realizing that there was a vision to be had. And I think it's frustrating that a lot of the time when in the church, when we start talking about vision, like we'll have people that stand up on a platform. You don't know what's going on in their life. They have a microphone and they tell you, you need to get a vision. So you sit down with a, like a notebook or a piece of paper and you're like, I don't know. Man, I'm just trying to make ends meet. I'm just trying to survive. What do you mean have a vision for the next 50 years of my life? I'm just trying to make it. Be patient. Caleb was in the same place until he saw the vision. So if you don't have a, if you're 80 years old and you don't know what the vision is for your life, it's okay. Be patient with yourself. Step two, practically, please do not compare yourself to anybody else. Notice how Caleb couldn't have cared less about the, the rest of the nation of Israel. It's like, I want a beachfront property. Who cares about the beachfront property? Give me the hill. I want a hill. Your vision is your vision. And it's nobody else's business on whether or not your vision is good enough or bad enough. It's your hill country. Stop comparing yourself to people on social media of, well, I don't know. My destiny doesn't look as cool. They dress better. They look better. They speak better. They're more talented. They've got a bigger following. You know, when you post something and then like it's four days and no one ever likes it and then your grandma likes it on Instagram, it's like, come on. I'm never going to make a difference in the world. No one likes my Instagram stuff. I'm like, who cares? Stop. And I realize this is a whole lot easier said than done to say it. You don't need to be comparing yourself to other people. Again, like every time I get up here, this is not information that y'all need to get on my level for. This is the stuff that the Holy Spirit is telling me to do. Don't compare your destiny and your vision or your hill country to anybody else. My hill country is my hill country. I don't care if you don't like it. It's not yours, it's mine. It's a brave heart, you know, that Irish guy. It's my island. Step three. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Let's read James 1, starting in 16. Don't be deceived, dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, 
who does not change like the shifting of shadows. He chooses to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. There is something that is in your heart to accomplish, and it is in your heart because it was first in the Father's heart. The thing that you need to accomplish in life is to bring heaven to earth. That's what our destiny is. That's what our vision is. That's what the mission is, heaven on earth. It's not to convince a whole lot of people to raise their hand and to kneel at an altar so that we can take earth to heaven. That's not what it is. Our destiny is to bring about this other kingdom and manifest it in the world of the living. So if you have got in your heart that your mission in life is to raise a great family, don't you dare compare yourself to somebody else that would look down on that. Well, you don't make six figures. If it is in your heart to raise a great family, that is a good enough destiny because it is in the heart of the Father for you to raise a good family. Is If it is in your heart to walk people through the struggles of addiction and see those addictive chains fall off of people, it is in your heart because it was first in the heart of the Father. And he is using you to manifest the kingdom of heaven into earth. If it is in your heart to be a killer school teacher, it is in the heart of heaven to manifest heaven's reality in your classroom. If it is your mission in life to create cool buildings or to craft watches, I don't know, I'm just not involved in spiritual things. Who cares? Building a building is just as much of a spiritual practice as what I'm doing here. Because whatever we are doing, we are doing unto the Lord. And if he has put it in your heart to be a craftsman, craft well. It manifests the kingdom of heaven. If it is in your heart, to chase pennies and to be an accountant, baby darling, do it unto the Lord and you will manifest the kingdom of heaven in the world of the living through your craft. So whatever it is that is in your heart to do, we've got to catch a glimpse of it in heaven. I've got to believe that God is wanting me to accomplish something. I've got to believe that whatever I'm doing, that God is interested in what I am doing. If it is in your heart to raise amazing pets, Raise amazing pets. Who cares what it is? If it is your hill country, believe that it is in God's heart to give you that hill country. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heaven. And he has put it into your heart to transform the world. Who cares what the actual manifestation is? The actual thing that's going on is heaven on earth. Practically step four, Every bit of this is his responsibility and none of it is mine. What do I think I'm going to do against a bunch of giants? By the way, had my first jiu-jitsu competition yesterday and I got beat handedly. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> the guy that was in my weight class and my age bracket pulled out last week. I think it's because he got on my Instagram and he got scared. That's not what happened. So I had an option. I either went against people that were half my age and a whole lot more in shape than I was, or to stay at my same age and wrestle with people that were a whole lot bigger than me. I got to do both. So the first guy, his cardio just beat the brakes off of me, which was nice. 
And then I didn't know what the second guy was. I, like, they kept on saying his name's his name's Luke Wilson. So I was expecting, like, whoa, like Luke Wilson. So I kept looking around. And they're like, Justin Grant, you know, on the, on the mat. So I'm over there, and I'm in my spandex. I look like an idiot. Like, I wonder who I'm fighting. And I turn around, and this Goliath. <laughs> it's like, great, great. Well, there's no sense in having any ego about this. Uh, and it was, I'm still sore. Ego and physically. But what do I think I'm going to do? Imagine you're Caleb and you see these nine foot tall Goliath human beings. Oh, great. God, you've got a huge problem because if you've sent me to be the solution to this issue, I can't wait to see how you do this. Have you ever seen like those really awful TV shows that it's like two seconds before the end of the show and it's like, I don't know how the author is going to wrap this up because these characters are dumb. And then the author just makes something happen. It's like uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail where at the end of it, like all the cops just show up. It's like, that was, we call that a deus ex machina that the God in the machine, the author just came in and just made something happen. Well, that's what God does in all of our stuff. Every victory that we've ever had, is it because I'm smart or I'm like strong? <laughs> it's God is exceedingly great at rescuing my tail from situations that I have created for myself. So standing at the edge of the promised land with the Amalekites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, and the whateverites, and these race of Anak, you know, these Goliaths and all this stuff, Caleb's like, God, you've got a big problem on your hands because I am not able to accomplish this, but we are well able to overcome. So I want to say, the mission, the calling, the vision that God has on your heart, it is not on your shoulders to perform that task. It is on the Holy Spirit's shoulders to perform that task. It is our shoulders just to simply be there when it happens and just go, yay. We have a Superman that fights our battles for us. We see the battle raging around us. And the only time that we are tempted into discouragement is when I think that that giant is about to come after me. Like, uh-uh. Giant's not coming after me. I've got scores of angels that are destined to take care of that problem. And I'm the one that gets the victor's crown at the end of it. How ridiculous is that? I get rewarded for the things that the Holy Spirit has done. I get redeemed because it was something that, that Jesus was supposed to have. The reward that was laid up for Jesus' sacrifice is given to me. He got my punishment. I got his reward. It's ridiculous, but that's what grace is. So the vision that we are about to walk into, the destiny that we're about to walk into, it's not on ours to perform. And every time that I get stressful is when I take that responsibility off the Holy Spirit's shoulders and I put it on mine. Now, I'll tell you, in a heartbeat, it'll wreck you. When you try to shoulder up underneath the, the burden of the world, it'll send you into spirals of depression. But as long as we start getting good at rolling that mess over onto the Holy Spirit's shoulders, I think we're going to make it. Caleb died in his hill country. He died seeing his family enjoy the fruits of the Holy Spirit's labor. I promise you, if you just simply choose to not die in the desert, the Holy Spirit will bring you into your promise and your destiny. 
and you will get to see your kids. Maybe not biological kids, but you will see generations after you receive the reward that the Holy Spirit worked. There is a, there is a front porch rocking chair and glass of lemonade experience in your future. I promise you. It's just we've got a lot of plowing to do before then, you know, but it's worth it. So let's stand up.